Hello and welcome to episode number three. I think this is number three. I don't really have a name for this thing. <clears throat> I don't really have a numbering convention or a naming convention for the episodes. This is all very off the cuff. Uh, it's the third time I've recorded something with the intent of maybe putting it out there. Happy pandemic. I am unemployed, like a lot of people. For me, it was actually voluntary. In the middle of February, I gave notice of my job. It was just time for me to move on and find the next gig. And lucky me, a month later, we all go into mandatory shelter in place. So I am now occasionally recording. Uh, trying to get better at speaking off the cuff. And more importantly, speaking about things that are of no consequence whatsoever. Uh, last two things I recorded were pretty weighty. Um, just the consequence of me spending most of my time in my own head or with my head in some other part of my anatomy. I'm in the Bay Area. I live in San Francisco. I've been in this area of the country for four years. I moved here four years ago because I work guess where, in tech. And since I moved here, I've been something of a hermit. Uh, I've been kind of decompressing from where I came from, trying to figure out what I should be doing next. But I, I, I've been spending a lot of my time with my nose stuck in a book, reading very weighty ideas. Uh, I'm a pretty quiet guy. Uh, I remember my job I'd be standing around in groups. I wouldn't offer much. Yeah, <laughs> standing like in a group of people at a some social parties and gathering. They're all talking about like, Netflix's Love Is Blind or something. I I haven't watched it. I'm told I, I should watch it. Probably will. I haven't yet. Anyway, I'm standing there. They're all talking about this, the latest episodes that have dropped or whatever, there's like a monologue going on in my head. It's like about some political science question, something philosophical, and they're trying to think through a business idea. Like, I'm just anywhere, my, my head is anywhere but in the room that I'm in. I just, I just hope that, like, people have learned not to, like, talk to me. They were all standing around in a group. There's a group conversation going on. I'm just silent. I'm looking around as though I'm listening and I'm kind of listening, but I'm not getting all of it. Because people don't ask me questions. And if, if they do, it's like, I, I just, I fear this. Because it's like, I have to contribute something. And what's going through my head is not something anybody wants to hear. <laughs> like if I, I'd rather they just think I'm an idiot who has nothing to contribute than to contribute something that is that fucking boring. <laughs> and I know I, maybe I'm sounding pretentious, like I'm trying to sound smart. I am not a smart guy. I'm just easily distracted by deep topics. They're, they are my something shiny that keeps me with my head in the clouds or in the sand. Anyway, so that's part of the reason I'm talking. I'm going to do a few episodes of this where I'm just talking about what's going on in my life in a way that is hopefully not 
so boring as to put everyone to sleep. Anyway, my, my life typically doesn't resemble most other people's in a lot of ways. Um, now it kind of does. I think we're all pretty much in the same boat. Um, I have been doing workout videos from YouTube, doing high intensity training. Uh, doing a little bit of yoga, uh, core, abs, etc., etc. a bunch of fitness terms. I don't know what I'm talking about. I used to go to the gym. I actually went to the gym for about six months, pretty routinely, a few times a week before all this happened. Now, the gym is closed, so I'm doing what a lot of people are doing and just trying to exercise uh, from the comfort of my living room. Actually works pretty well. I think I know more about what I'm doing uh, fitness-wise than I did in the six months when I was just going to the gym. I was just going to the gym using the machines. I didn't have any kind of a plan. The free weights I was using, exercises, were basically what I learned in high school. Seems the philosophy of working out, if there is such a thing, is kind of, it's all changed. Uh, the techniques are different. You know, the intervals are different. Um, so I think the fact that this forced me to stay in and get some new help from the internet is probably going to be probably good for my workout routine in the long run. Uh, yeah, mostly a replacement for all the walking I used to do. I was getting 10, 15,000 steps a day minimum. Uh, walking around. I live in San Francisco. I've been here for about a year and a half. And I, until recently, I haven't really explored much of the city. I've just kind of, I've been in my little corner, my little neighborhood. It's right next to the Caltrain station. I go to the Caltrain, commute to work, come home, rinse, repeat. I walk out to the Embarcadero a couple of blocks from me, uh, you know, on the weekends. We go up to market, wander around, etc. I haven't really done much exploring of the city as a whole. Um, so I've been trying to do that. I, I was doing a lot of that prior to this shutdown happening. I plan to get back to that. Uh, but I actually have a, I actually have a patio where I live. I live in a very urban area that's very, very dense. My place is not that big, but it does have, unlike most of the units in this building, an outdoor patio area, which is actually not small. There's a lot of apartment buildings that have balconies, like some little thing you can step out onto and you see people lighting their joints, hitting their vape pens, you know, and then ducking back inside. Like, it's, it's about all it's good for. Uh, I actually have, like, a patio, which is maybe 25 feet, 25, 30 feet by by 10 feet. It's a very sizable little thing. Um, what I found is I can just go out there and just walk in a circle 
I can walk in a figure eight. I'll put on headphones, throw on a podcast, and just walk for hours in the same goddamn endless loop. It's perfect. I've actually been getting, some days I've been getting 15, 20,000 steps in just from that. Um, as long as I'm into podcasts, I can manage to get that. As long as I find something I want to listen to for that long, uh, an audiobook that's that interesting, uh, then it's okay. I wonder how it looks to the neighbors. There's a building right across the street from me. It's about the same height as my balcony. Like it's four stories. I'm on the fourth floor. That's the other thing. I'm just far enough off the ground that I can kind of like, there's like maybe five feet of dirt between where my patio ends and there's a, you go across it and there's a drop off four stories down. So I actually have like a little tree growing right outside my place over this patio, like a little bit of shade I can sit in. Very unusual to live in this dense urban area and have that. I'm really glad I have that now. I have to be like the envy of all my neighbors. This is the status symbol, you know. I don't have a sports car. I'm like, hey, baby, you want to come see my patio? Of course, nobody's dating right now because there's uh, this virus. Anyway, uh, no, the building right across the this, this street from me is about four stories tall. So I, you can't, there's not much, not many people can see me. Um, but the building right next to it has got to be 15 stories tall, maybe 20. There are a lot of units that have direct line of sight. If they look out of their window and down to the right, they'll see me. This guy on his patio just kind of wandering in an endless circle for hours on end. <laughs> I gotta wonder how that looks then. It must look like I'm insane. Although I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if anybody's passing judgment on anyone else right now for what they're doing like I, I honestly it's kind of like I, I there are windows that I can see from my place like if I look out just kind of casually you kind of like angle your head up towards the sky but I, I can see other people's windows and I can see people in their places sitting at their desks at their computers and they're watching tv doing some yoga themselves, you know, it's, it's like you try not to stare, but it's like, you know, I, I really don't have a whole lot of other sources of entertainment right now. I, I, I don't know, like a creep. I really, I don't, I don't stare at other people's places. I have, I have a TV. <laughs> it's hard not to occasionally, you know, your eyes sort of just drift over. It, it's right in your field of vision. It's kind of nice if my place were higher up. I could see out uh, into the bay. People on the 13th floor of the building I live in, uh, they can... I was up there once. I, all the furniture in my place came from one other unit who was getting rid of it. I lived in my place for three or four months with no furniture. Like, I had a bed and a computer and, that, that, and a TV, and that was it. Um... Basically, it's it's hard to get furniture moved in here, and furniture is expensive anyway. I wasn't sure how long I was going to be here, so I was pretty non-committal about furnishing the place with some expensive stuff. 
I waited until somebody in the building put all this stuff on next door. Like, I'm moving out. Somebody buy all of it. I basically went in and was like, hey, I'll venue, Venmo you 500 bucks for the, the whole thing. Just give me it all. It worked out pretty well. It's been keeping me afloat for a year. And it's got, I've got everything I pretty much need. But when I was up there, the 13th floor, he had an amazing view. You could just see so far down to the South Bay. You could see out over the, the San Francisco Bay. Um, you can see like, uh, the, how uh, is it? Oracle Park, AT&T Park. I don't know. It has two, it's few names. The Giant Stadium, AT&T Park, Oracle Park. I don't know what you're supposed to call it, but it's, you can see that from my patio and you can, if you're on the 13th floor, you can see over that onto the water. You can't see into the stadium, though. Apparently, they built the stadium so that nobody in the city, no matter how high up you go, would be able to see in and watch the games for free. Which completely, like, of course they would, of course they would do that. Um, anyway, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty low. It's hard to, like, look out and not accidentally look into someone else's place. And, like, everyone is home now. With their windows open, their blinds open, doing, getting, letting in all the light. Yeah, so I just, I just try and keep my head down and walk in a circle and, you know, mind my own damn business. I kind of, I wonder what would happen if I, this seems like the, the perfect situation to like see something. Like if the, <laughs> you guys have seen like Alfred Hitchcock's old film Rear Window, it's like Jimmy Stewart's stuck in a wheelchair with two broken legs. He's a photographer. All he can do is just stare out his window. And the only thing he's got to look at is he's got like a courtyard, I think, and an apartment building like across the way from him. And he's like watching his neighbors through their windows. It's like exactly what I'm looking at when I look out of my place. Uh, and he sees one of his neighbors. He thinks he sees, it looks to him like his neighbor has killed his wife. You know, he tells his friends about, I think this, this guy's wife suddenly disappeared. She's gone. You know, they're like, oh, you're crazy, Jimmy Stewart, whatever the character's name is. And, uh, <clears throat> of course that's, you know, it, it's a Hitchcock film. So there's obviously something to it. I don't know if I would even, I, I feel like if I happen to catch one of my neighbors committing a murder, I don't know if I would even do anything right now. Really, really am I going to hold that against them? <laughs> ah, I had a friend of mine tweet something about a month ago. It was like, I feel sorry for all of you out there who are stuck in quarantine with somebody that you cannot part with. And I was like, yes, I had that exact same thought. I might be stuck in quarantine with no one. I'm completely alone, but there is no self-censoring of the bodily function. It's just, it is a free-for-all. It's complete comfort. <laughs> but I, I gotta imagine you're stuck in tight quarters with somebody like that for this long if I see like a wife kill her husband with a knife just go at him and start chopping him up 
the hell am I going to do? I'm not really going to call the police. <laughs> kind of understand. I mean, you have to, the pressure has got to be getting to people at this point. Ah, gets to me sometimes. Really, it's it's the exercise. I realize if I if I'm starting to feel, I need some dopamine. I got no one to talk to, no one to call upon. I just have to like do some yoga. I got to force myself out of the funk and do some cardio. It never fails. It only fails when I fail to apply that solution. <clears throat> oh, I got this. I'm, I'm actually between workout routines right now. And it, I got this thing with my ears where uh, I'm using my AirPods to record this. And my ears do this thing where like air gets in them. And so for a little while after I work out, like the air is just moving around inside of my ears. And I end up with this kind of echoey. I have trouble talking because it feels like the, the, my own ears are bouncing my own voice back to me internally in some really weird warped way. Like I'm speaking through a phaser. It's really distracting. Anyway, I remember hearing there was a, there, there was a, some researcher determined that if you, if you echo somebody's voice back to them with a very, very minuscule delay, I think it's like two tenths of a second, one fifth of a second, what the hell am I saying? 0.2 seconds. I forget what the exact number is, but some very small interval that you can detect. Basically, if you're a human being and you're trying to talk with this thing, echoing your own voice back to you with this delay, you basically cannot speak. <laughs> it's just, you just, the person cannot mentally form new thoughts and process the incoming uh, input at the same time. I was like, that's amazing. I remember reading this and thinking, like, okay, so you just, you just have to invent a gun. Like, you know, it's like a dish gun that, like, captures someone's voice if they're talking to you. And then it basically creates a delay and then projects it right back to them. You could shut somebody up. You could go to, I, I don't know if this, I, I, I can't see why this would be illegal. You could go to a political rally with some speaker and just a bunch of people in the audience could have these guns. You could all just, like echo his voice back to him. He, he, whoever it is would not be able to talk. <laughs> like Donald Trump starts talking about, I, I don't know, like, oh, we're going to reopen the country by whatever. Yeah, you guys who are all protesting, you know, the quarantine, let's just, you guys are doing the right thing. He, let's throw more fuel on the fire. He's doing this, just echo his own words back at him. He can't, Somebody who's there. <laughs> There's got to be some law that's uh, it's a violation of some First Amendment law. I'm, by the way, I'm not actually suggesting anybody do that. I thought the idea was funny. Actually, one of the things I thought of when quarantine first started, I was trying to think, okay, I'm going to write some code, do some projects. I, I have not done any of that recently. I don't cooped up like this the last thing i want to do is stare at a computer for long stretches of time i did that for the first two weeks i built a bunch of things 
I'm done with that. One of the things I did was I, I took that idea. I was like, okay, I'm going to build a web page that captures the microphone of your computer. It takes in the audio and then basically you create a delay and then it echoes it back out. So you could just open up this browser, like point your laptop at somebody and it would basically be like the, the, the shut up gun, whatever you want to call it. And it totally, I tried using it. I tried talking to myself with myself being echoed back to me and I could not do it. It's just, it's not something you can overcome. It's, I couldn't anyway. I didn't try for very long. <laughs> Maybe you could train your brain to handle that. I couldn't do it. What else did I do? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I miss the most from being able to go out. Prior to this, I was actually playing a lot of Big Buck Hunter. You guys know that game? It's, it's like there are, it's, it's like an arcade game that has little plastic shotguns attached to it by, by a rope. And you basically take the shotgun and start playing and you have to like aim the gun on the screen where you want to shoot and you're basically hunting. For some reason, I was really into that game. For, like, for a matter of months, I would just go out and play that game for until my arm gave, until I got tennis elbow or whatever, arcade elbow, whatever that might be, until I couldn't play anymore. You know, my carpal tunnel from pulling the trigger was just overwhelming, or I ran out of quarters. The, the arcade, there was actually a barcade close to my house. It's a couple blocks away. Um... For a while, the high scores on that machine were almost entirely mine. Every single, every single course you could hunt, I basically had the high score on that. I was triple A all over the place. Um, got to the point where I was just competing with myself. Like, okay, I've got to beat my own score now. Yeah, I could, and I, I had trouble with it towards the end. I don't know why I got into that. The problem with that is I don't like bars. I don't like drinking. I don't eat. I especially don't like going to drink. Well, I don't like drinking. I don't like going to bars where they have things like Big Buck Hunter. Those are never. If it weren't for the barcade, I'm not sure I would go. Like, like there's these dive bars. They always have sports on. With peanuts on the floor. People are just watching sports games and getting blitzed watching their teams play. This is not my scene. This is the kind of places that have Big Buck Hunter. And I, I can't stand, I had to like put my blinders on. I would just go in my bubble, go into these places, play Big Buck, and, and get out. And this is my story too. You get back to like, I'm standing around at work, you know, with my coworkers and they're all talking about something that I have no context on and cannot contribute to. And like, like, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? For some, this has become a harder, harder question as I've gotten older. Like it used to be, first of all, I think I used to do things in my twenties. I used to go out and do shit. 
So if somebody were, well, what'd you do this weekend? I'd be like, oh, uh, well, I'd have to like repress some things. I'd have to like omit some things because they were not work appropriate. You know, I'd have the opposite problem. I had to like hold back and only cherry pick the things that are appropriate for work. But I, I had things. So look, there were, there was too much and I had to like filter out the appropriate, filter out the inappropriate ones and only, if you, you know, and now it's like I, my weekends are pretty, well, late thirties. It's like, what'd you do this weekend? Like, I don't know if I did anything. If I did anything, I certainly don't remember it. That's how boring that whole weekend was. Like there's nothing comes to mind. I know I did things, but I can't remember any of them. Jesus, my life is tedious. Anyway, but this is what I started with. People were like, so what'd you do? I'd be like, well, I, I went to play Big Buck Hunter. I can't remember the first person that I repeated this to. I remember some, at some point somebody asked me, like, didn't you do that last weekend? Is this like a thing with you? I was like, oh, it's totally a thing, yeah. <laughs> That's how great my life is. I am playing a video game of all things. I've never been into video games. I guess that was part of it. I work in tech. I'm an engineer. Everyone I know plays video games. Everyone I know is like playing Smash Brothers online or doing esports. You know, this is just this is just what people do. They're talking about it. Oh, did you get the new, the new whatever? I, Tendon Terror 6 or what? I, I don't know what the hell any, any of this stuff is. No. I have no idea what you're talking about. I actually bought, I bought, I have Smash Brothers. I have Super Smash, I have a Switch. I have Mario Kart. I played Mario Kart for all of maybe three and a half hours. And I don't, I haven't done much with it since. I have Smash Brothers, which I, Played long enough to realize I suck at it. I even got the pro controller for it. Facilitated some very intense minutes of playing Smash Brothers. And I also got Doom. I have like four games that I, I just keep... I buy a game every six months or so thinking this is going to be the one that gets me into video games. It just never happens. I've tried over and over again to get into video games and I've failed miserably. Actually, Big Buck is my only recent success of this. I think it's why I kept bringing it up. People are like, so what did you do this weekend? I, I played a video game. Big Buck Hunter. I'm like very proud. This is, this is all I need to say. I'm very proud of myself for just having done that. It's not like, it's like an accomplishment worth a shit, but it's like, Hey, you know what? For me, that's something. Usually I just read a bunch of stuff you don't want me to talk about. I, I don't want to talk about it. I just, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I actually, I've been doing a lot of voice memos today. I've been trying this whole get my thoughts out by recording them, by speaking into a phone. And my throat is actually very raw. I've probably been dictating things for a total of six hours today. And this after like six weeks of 
absolutely nothing like talking to maybe three people two of them once a week and one who knows as often as i can i don't speak a lot anyway i've, I've talked almost non-stop for like six hours today so my, my throat is raw i had no idea my throat was this out of shape i had no idea i was this incapable of talking for such an extended period of time at some point i got up and went to go get a cough drop uh to kind of soothe the burn now i don't think i have any cough drops i think this is the thing that i always i, I always buy cough drops when i need them and you know, I never use them all. I'm just like, okay, I'll throw them in the bathroom and you know, I'll have cough drops when I need them. For some reason, they're never there. When I, they, they, people have like their socks disappear from the dryer. I've never had that problem. If there's, a, if there's an elf stealing socks from my dryer, he does it in pairs. Thank God, he doesn't drive me nuts. If I have an elf that's stealing something that just confuses me, it would be the cough drops. I don't know where the cough drops go. Anyway, I I do have like a uh, an aromatic diffuser. It's something you, you know, put essential oils in and it bubbles and it creates steam and puts a nice scent into the air. Um, I kind of like smells. I like uh, I like I like filling the place with uh, an odor of something. Um, I don't do. I've actually asked people about aromatherapy. I know some people that swear by it. They will say, "Oh yeah, it's it's critical. You have to use like organic essential oils, and this one is good for this mood, and this one is good for that mood. This one is treating various conditions." I I, I find it relaxing. I, I it, it's soothing in its own way. I don't know if I go in for the medicinal values. Oh, you sprained your ankle? Just throw some cherry, you know, and, uh, I don't know, Coca-Cola into your diffuser and let it, let it heal your ankle by diffusing into the, I don't think I'd buy any of that, but anyway, I have a bunch of essential oils, one of which is peppermint. I have a big bottle of peppermint essential oil. So in lieu of a cough drop, I just poured some drops of this junk down my throat. I don't actually know if you're supposed to consume those. I don't know if, if they're diffusible oils, if you can ingest them without consequence. Anyway, I'm ingesting that with or without consequence to keep myself in the ability to continue talking because it's, of course, highly critical that I continue with this discussion about nothing. <laughs> ah. Yep. Do wish I had more uh more toys. Better toys. I do I said this before, I do wish I had a musical keyboard, an electronic one. One of those uh pianos that has uh you know a few hundred different sounds on it different instruments, percussion, you know. Um, in terms of one of those things, if I had one of those and I could plug it into the computer, I would be writing music every day. I would be trying to create one album a week, even if the albums were absolute garbage. 
I would just be mixing different elements with really simple chord forms, putting melodies over them. Uh, yeah, just, just, just creating stuff. Something I love doing. Um, I'd love to be doing that now, but I, I kind of don't feel like I want to order a keyboard. The building I live in, the mail, I live in a building and the delivery of packages is a whole ordeal. They get stuck with the, somebody at a front desk who's got to like babysit them all day. And they, they always have, like Black Friday is a nightmare for them. And Cyber Monday, oh, it's just hell week. You go down there and the person's just at the, the desk buried behind a bunch of boxes. And of course, with, with the whole pandemic, everybody's ordering everything on Amazon. Like they have no extra space. It's just, it's, I don't want to be ordering a massive electronic musical keyboard and like have that sent to my place and they've got to like, and I've got to go down and like keep six feet from them and somehow haul it back, you know, up, up to my place through the elevator. And not to mention somebody would have to package that damn thing and load it onto a truck just to get it here. Now, as much as I want to, I want to, record music. I, I think I can wait. It'll keep. I do have a guitar and a ukulele. And that's, honestly, that's just, it's an acoustic guitar and, and a ukulele. It's just not enough. I'm not that good of a musician. I can't like take those two elements and combine them in enough novel ways and write interesting stuff that would fill an entire album. I could maybe squeeze out three songs before I got sick of it and wanted to bash them over my head. Yeah, really more of a generalist. I really think if I ever get around to seriously doing music again, I would be study music theory and try recording music with like electronic elements, not like electronic, not EDM, Dubs, nothing like that, but just try and record things that you could get only from a computer. Do novel sounds mixed with real instrument sounds. I guess that's kind of what Nine Inch Nails would, did, but not, not industrial, not in that genre, but just making interesting sonic scapes that fit over a traditional sounding rock song because that's what most people are probably doing now like most people are using computers but anyway you're definitely a generalist I, I there's i saw a a ted video of some guy playing bohemian rhapsody on the ukulele like the whole song absolutely amazing people do this sort of thing like they master one instrument uh, just very, very well. And it's just what they, what they do. It's the Hilary Hahn play, uh, uh, violin concertos by Bach. It's amazing. I, when I, you know, when I was in high school, I was switching instruments every year if I could. I think I kept it a bassoon, uh, during the orchestral season every year, but I, 
I was like every, every marching season, I was like, okay, what can I do differently? Can I do pick up some other instruments? I, I don't want to be stuck in one place. Probably a parable for my life. Okay, I'm starting to like revert into just serious talk. What the hell else is going on? What else can people talk about? Podcasts, what I'm listening to. Lore. There's a podcast called Lore, but that's not what I'm talking about. I've been listening to podcast called Bay Curious, which is about, I think it's an offshoot of the local NPR station. Somehow I think they're affiliated, maybe funded. They do Bay Area history. And I have, I've been interested in San Francisco history. Like what, if you walk around the city, there's a whole lot of stuff just sitting out there in public. You, would not know any of the stuff that happened unless you knew. Unless you were aware of the historical context that happened. I don't know how interesting that is. I find it fascinating. You walk around and you're like, okay, that thing, that that statue, whatever, this uh, this staircase, this thing, been around for, I don't know how long, I mean, um, close to 100 years. San Francisco history is interesting. I think if you live in your average city in the United States, you, you really don't have to dig that deeply. There's probably not a whole lot going on that you really need to know about or that's even interesting. Like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be anything that, you, you know, maybe New Orleans, the French Quarter, Mardi Gras, that tradition's got to be pretty debauched. I bet there are things about that history you would not tell your kids about. I guess if you're like in a revolutionary, American Revolution town, like it's somewhere in Pennsylvania, you're in Pittsburgh or something, or Philadelphia, I guess that'd be interesting. But I mean, San Francisco is, the history is so messed up. I, I, I think people are generally aware of the gold rush, but I don't think they know what happened here. Interestingly enough, it was the part it was called San Francisco originally. It was like two separate little villages. But the mission, um, the Dolores mission, which is still here, just in the middle of the mission district, um, it was actually established in 1776, like five days before we declared independence from England, June 29th. Uh, and the mission kind of was built. There were Native Americans, the Ohlone tribe that lived here. They were Catholicized, Catholicized. I don't know what the verb is there. I think they were made to work the mission. They were the the indentured servants, I guess, would be the polite euphemism to kind of soften the blow and we're just slaves. Um, and up to the north, this is closer to where I live, uh, 
there is this little village called Yerba Buena, meaning good herb. That was um, it was a kind of a separate settlement. Um, and not a lot of people lived here. The mission was active. And the little village of Yerba Buena on the water was active. But there were maybe a few hundred people living in either one of these places. Um, and it, they, they really were not that big. Like the, So originally Spain settles it. They come in, conquistadors, and uh, you know, the people who are living here kind of say, okay, you know, Spain, fuck off. You're, they basically have their own little revolutionary war. They declare their own independence, and they become Mexico. Yeah, 1821. So then it's Mexico for a while. And the people who live here are Mexican citizens. Um, in 1846, there was a guy named Fremont, John C. Fremont, who is a, some sort of commander in the American army. He leads a squadron of men out to like seize the territory of Alta California for the United States. I think it was 1846. Anyway, yeah, they end up in what it's called north, basically north of San Francisco, Marin County. They, they, they come upon a Mexican settlement there and they find it pretty much unmanned. Like nobody's guarding it. Nothing. So they just kind of wander in and put a flag up. This is the bear flag revolt, I think is what it's called. This is, this is where the first California flag has a bear on it. This is when the bears on the California flag still existed before we hunted them to death. Uh, <laughs> um, and there was a captain named John C. Montgomery who was, uh, he had a, a ship called the Portsmouth and he comes into the Yerba Buena Cove. And I, he, I think he waits till the coast is clear. Somebody signals him from the land like you're all good. And he just kind of walks, just hoists himself on the land. He like, anchors the ship, comes on the land, and just walks into Portsmouth Square. It was like the town square at the time. You know, only a few hundred people living here. And like raises the American flag and like, yeah, this is now the United States' territory. I claim this territory for the United States. I don't think there was a whole lot more to it than that. I don't think there was any actual fight. Like the Mexican-American War was bloody on some fronts. I think Texas was pretty brutal. And I haven't got that deep into it, but I think San Francisco is just this little bum place that some, a few Mexicans lived, a few Europeans who had established themselves as Mexican citizens. And we just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's ours now. <laughs> That's it. Like I, I, the year after this, I think they fused the towns. They're like, no more Yerba Buena. The whole thing is just San Francisco. Um, yeah, this is like 1847. And it's interesting because if you, you know the 49ers, like it is in 1848 in Coloma, uh, which is in the North Bay somewhere, I think. But there there is land that a Mexican citizen was a Mexican citizen under when California was a Mexican territory. 
he, uh, it was one of his workers at one of his mills that discovered the gold. So it, we, we basically the United States captures California and claims it as its own a year or two before we find gold in this area. So it really makes me wonder exactly what would have happened if the gold had been discovered like 10 years prior. Like the <laughs> Mexicans are just like, okay. I, I, I can imagine history might have played out quite a bit differently if that had been the case. Anyway, but what was San Francisco? So the Yerba Buena town of a few hundred people. It was a few hundred people in 1848. Somebody uncovers gold and suddenly there are tons of people moving here. I think by 1854, 1855, it was like 40 or 50,000 people. And it's not like there were buildings here or infrastructure here to support these people. And it's not as though you're talking about people moving in with families. You're just talking about guys who were looking to make a fortune for themselves, basically pitching tents on the various hills around the city. And I, I can't imagine what that would have been like. The city basically just had to grow from this. Like the, the people came first and then they had to figure out how to put everything in place around all the people. And it was madness. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think the most notorious things actually came a few decades later, like once the city had gotten built up. The days of uh, the Barbary Coast. The gender ratio in this city was really terrible. I think it was, it was like four to one men to women. There were not a lot of women here. The women that were here were probably here. Unless they were married to some really wealthy dude, they were probably scraping out a living being prostitutes and the stories you read about that are really oh man I were the gentlemen's clubs at the time oh talk about debauched I think you have like I think there was a club where some <laughs> the owner of the club I forget what the place was called something to do with a bear but the owner had a literal grizzly bear chained up outside the place it's just, that was the, I guess that was the attraction. Like, use a spotlight now to, like, get attention. or I don't know. He had a, a literal live grizzly bear out front. I, animal rights people would go nuts with that now. But, I mean, that thing would... I, I can't imagine that thing never hurt anyone or killed anyone. And the shows themselves, I mean... Uh, of course, of course, people were like drugging women and taking advantage of them in the clubs. Uh, women were apparently sodomizing animals. Like it was, it was incredibly, like these are things, yes, you would not tell your kids. Or hey, in the, in the old days of San Francisco when it first got kicking. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, how did I get on that? It's like I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, so I'm interested in San Francisco history. 
One of my favorite stories is about, uh, so there's a bunch of like, the streets around me are named after people. There's like, there's a Bryant Street. He, he was some botanist, some naturalist who did something, I don't remember what. Uh, basically, if you want to have a street named after you in San Francisco, you have to be a conquistador or some sort of really wealthy businessman or a guy who makes roads, like a civil engineer. <laughs> Just in, in case you're wondering, that's the, there's not too many other ways. Um, go back in time, conquer some shit. Uh, there is uh, an interesting story. There's a street a couple blocks north of me called Brannon. Um, now, Brannon is named after Samuel Brannon. Uh, Samuel Brannon's story is, I can't believe Samuel, like, what you usually hear about this story, this guy, is that he was the, he was the guy who started San Francisco's first newspaper. He, he apparently came to San Francisco with a printing press and started writing stories and, and telling them. <clears throat> Very early on, like in 1849. He was apparently a Mormon. And I don't know all the details, but apparently it's like Brigham Young was supposed to cross the country with his merry band of Mormons from wherever, wherever, the, wherever they were back east, wherever the fuck they were coming from. They were supposed to come out to California. I think they were supposed to land in San Francisco. And Brigham Young was coming by land. Samuel Brannan was coming by sea with an entirely different batch of Mormons. They were going to come out and, uh, at that point, they, they could have taken, like this, San Francisco could be a Mormon town if that is what had played out. But I think Brigham Young, for some reason, got to Salt Lake City. They got like halfway out here and they're just like, fuck it, we're just going to stop right here. And they, that's, they just settled in Salt Lake City. I don't even know if Salt Lake City was a place before they showed it. They, they stopped somewhere, which was either Salt Lake City or that's what became Salt Lake City. Um, and of course, this is before they had means of communicating. So Samuel Brannan just doesn't get word of this. He shows up with his band of Mormons by boat. And they were really excited about conquering a territory in Mexico like basically being Mormon missionaries and converting a bunch of Mexican citizens. And they showed up and it had been like two or three years since this happened, but they didn't know that the American flag was flying in San Francisco. And Samuel Brandon was so pissed off. He was like that damn rag that was <laughs> like, they became American. We were hoping to get to Mexico. It's like a weird twist on Columbus's whole story. He's like trying to get to one place, but he ends up somewhere else. Anyway, and of course he gets here and he's like, where the fuck is, <laughs> where the fuck is Brigham Young? You know, where is everyone else? And of course he comes to learn that, oh, they just stopped somewhere in Utah or somewhere in, you know, I don't know if it was called Utah at the time. Stuff, some no man's land between East and San Francisco. And he's like, okay, I guess we're just here then. 
So he sets himself up, you know, he uh, starts a business, starts a newspaper. Um, and he's the head of the Mormon settlement out here. Like whatever Mormons are in San Francisco, he's the guy. And they're all paying their tithes to Samuel Brennan. He's collecting them on behalf of Brigham Young. And he's supposed to be like collecting these and remitting them to Brigham Young, which he does not do. He basically just says, I think Brigham Young sends a messenger and says, yeah, you have to pay me. And Samuel Bryan said in so many words, you can blow it out your ass. And apparently this got very, very heated. Like apparently Brigham Young had an army of guys he called the Avenging Angels or some shit like that. He like sent them out here to forcibly collect the tithes from Samuel Brennan by, by force. But Samuel Brennan had his own goddamn army of people that he used for personal protection. He like sent them out into the desert to head them off before they got to San Francisco and they like duked it out out there. I picture the whole thing like playing down like some anime, them flying through the air with swords and like staying impossibly long in the air, like these long arcs and just. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Really anyway, Samuel Brennan never paid the tithes to bring them. I think this is how he built most of his wealth. He just collected Mormon tithes and kept it all for himself. Um, probably just as well to bring them young and ended up staying in Salt Lake City. I don't think San Francisco history would be much, much different if the Mormons that end up taking it. If this was the Salt Lake City, ah, oh, that would, that'd be a bummer. I have to work in tech. I gotta move to fucking Mormon town. I like Mormons just fine. I don't, I'm not sure I could live in Salt Lake City. I'm not sure I could live infused among a majority of Mormons. I don't think I can deal with that much cheeriness. Um, Anyway, Samuel Brennan was, despite the fact that he was a Mormon, he was also a, a, an outrageous drunk. Like, apparently he had a real problem. I think he's one of the guys who it caught up to him in the end and he died of something alcohol-related. I mean, it ended up ruining his life. He lost his fortune that he took from the tithes he collected from the Mormons. He bankrupted himself doing stupid things. I'm guessing the alcohol probably played a part there. But... There's a city up north in Sonoma County. It's north of Marin County. It's like maybe an hour drive north of here. So it's in wine country. Small little town called Calistoga, which was founded by Samuel Brandon. It was one of his projects. And the way the story goes is that they were christening it. Um, I guess for some context, go back a bit. There was a kind of a resort spa luxurious place people went to unwind, get out of the city, back in New York called Saratoga. And his his idea was to create the same thing out west. And he, he had set up this city to be that very thing. And he, at its christening, when the dedication ceremony came, he was completely shit-faced drunk, smashed off his ass, and he, he got up and he said, I'm going to make this the... Uh, Calistoga of Serifornia. Basically completely slurred his words and fucked up the name of the town. And that's the name, that's 
how Calistoga got its name, which I find endlessly hilarious. I know people from up in Sonoma County that they know that Calistoga is like right around the corner from where they grew up. They have never heard this story. As far as I can tell, it's true. It sounds apocryphal, but it seems to be as true as any lore I've found. Uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of San Francisco. That's a little taste of how this city came to be. Yeah, it was, honestly, I just, thinking back to the bar break, there were, things were so fucked up here in the formative days. I cannot believe that this is now like the, the bastion of progressive tolerance. This, this became like the like the den of Harvey Milk. Like the, the revolutions that have happened here. Which I guess it kind of makes sense. The neighborhood I live in, Soma, south of Market, um, I'll go walking. I remember I passed a a shop. When I first moved here, I passed a shop on a street corner, and it looked like it was just a bunch of Leather jackets, leather vests, leather hats, leather everything. Oh, is that a whip? Oh, there's a whip back there. Okay. Oh, is this? There are studs on a bunch of this stuff. There are spikes on a bunch of this stuff. Okay. This is a very special kind of leather shop. Um, not yet. You look a little closer. That's exactly what it is. Apparently that element is more prevalent here. And by prevalent, I mean it happens a lot. You know, people are not doing it in the street. But the BDSM community has, in terms of a presence where the community does it, in places that are public, you can go to if you're into that sort of thing. It, it happens here in the neighborhood I live in, uh, you know, a few blocks away. Um, much more here than it does anywhere else. There's a parade to that effect. I guess it kind of hasn't changed much. There's no bears chained up outside. There's no women fucking animals. But, you know, it's, <laughs> there's still, I guess there's still debauchery happening here. I guess this is still, I guess it makes sense. We got the history for it. <laughs> I've never been into one of those places. I, I honestly don't. Uh, I was surprised. It's kind of one of those things I feel like I should go check it out. Like if I was, I, if I was in whatever, Idaho, I'm not really into potatoes, but if I lived in Idaho, I'd probably learn everything I could about potatoes as much as I could while I was there. If I happened to live, be living a few blocks away from like the most well-populated community of BDSM bars in the country. Why would you not go see that? Maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe that's not the same thing at all. I, I don't know. I guess it'd be hard to kind of like go into one of those places as a fly on the wall. Go in my t-shirt and jeans and just kind of stand there with a beer and like watch everyone that's going. There's no way you could get away with that. 
I have to, <laughs> I have to at least, I have to at least put a gimp mask on, like at least disguise myself, you know, zip it up, unzip it every time I want to take a sip of beer, like at least make some effort to blend in. I, I don't know. This is sounding like a bad, worse and worse idea the more I talk about it. <sighs> There's good parts too. I, I think the Barbary Coast days definitely precede the 1906 earthquake and the following fire. Apparently the earthquake hit in 1906 and it just it did a lot of damage, but most of the city was okay. What happened was apparently the water supply, the pipes that were running underground in the city, those got shattered by the earthquake in like hundreds of places. So essentially you have no water supply and the earthquake started some fires. And with the lack of water, there is, there are, there, there is no water to put anything out. Um, I heard stories of really, really wealthy guys who like were raiding their champagne cellars, like pulling the champagne out in mass and pouring it on the flames approaching their houses just for some liquid to stop the fire from destroying their house. <laughs> I like that, that sums up San Francisco pretty well. Some rich guy dumping out all this champagne to try and save his house from fire. Anyway. The fire is what destroyed almost all of the city. Uh, so, I mean, there, there was a lot of stuff there from the Barbary Coast. There's a lot of strip clubs, poker joints, all these horrible things that you read about. Like Those things were pretty much entirely destroyed around this time. And this is the eastern half of the city, which is where most people are. Like There had been... Some expansion out west to where Golden Gate Park is, park is like around the park, uh, around the Presidio. Most of the population was over here. I think at that point, still we're still expanding west. And the fire didn't make it west. So if you want to see like old San Francisco stuff, you have to go. Van Ness was the fire line. It was a critical night where the fire was trying to fight its way across that street. And apparently people just stayed on Van Ness and fought it, and it did not spread further west than that. This is apparently where they were, on Van Ness, they were dynamiting buildings to keep the fire from burning through them. And, you know, deciding that there were some buildings that they didn't like for other reasons and just dynamiting them for the hell of it, opportunistically. Of course... Of course, there's a politician who's doing this. There's a mayor doing this kind of stuff. This just happens, people. The business of America is business. But anyway, so yeah, like there's most of the stuff you see in San Francisco is somebody cleaned up a bunch of scrap after 1906. The fire burned it down and said, well, okay, what can we put here now? Oh, the cathedrals. There's, there's some beautiful cathedrals in San Francisco that you could walk around and see those. Those are old enough and well-made enough. You could you could go into... I, I will stop in those and just sit for an hour, listen to the music, 
the organs going on in the choir. And just take it in. Gotta say, I, I really don't go for any of the Jesus stuff, but damn, those are wonderful places. Just kind of be meditative. Especially if you're in the city. Gotta say, I kind of appreciate that. There's just somewhere you can go. Kind of like where I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs, like the Detroit area, north of there, just complete suburban sprawl. It's like I, when I was growing up, I was like, why the hell are all these people playing golf? Golf is a stupid game. I, I never got into it. I never wanted to get into it. I, I, you know, I kind of, I, somebody said to me this, somebody said this to me. I can't talk. Somebody said this to me when, like later in high school. They were like, well, you know, if you grow up around here and it's just residential houses that are just post-World War II built, there's nothing interesting about them. You have industrial parks, people driving their cars around. Maybe you get some tall building here or there, but it's, it's totally just an office building. Nothing interesting, no culture whatsoever. People stop taking pride in trying to design a city and just let's just build boxes that people either live in or work in. In that kind of city, I could see it makes sense that you'd want to go play golf. It's like the one place you can just go be in some green thing. Especially in in, in suburban towns that don't have land use planning, which the one I grew up in was not. They did all right, but they did not preserve enough public land to really make it feel like uh, uh, there was enough green places to go hide. You know, property values kept going up and up. So eventually it's like, well, we can't keep this woods. We could put three houses on this little plot of land. And, you know, it's... uh, profit from it somehow. That's yeah, just the way it goes. Yeah, churches are kind of like that. There's no way you could put a golf course. There probably is one or two, I think, in San Francisco. I don't know where. But, yeah, unless you're like near Golden Gate Park or one of the other sizable parks, there's not many. There are some like churches are actually a pretty good place to go to if you just want peace and quiet, including peace and quiet from the screaming kids that are playing on playground structures. Yeah. And yeah, they are beautiful. The stained glass, uh, the stonework, the Gothic revival. You know, I'm talking like I understand something about architecture. I don't. I just know that they look good, that they're a pretty tranquil place to just go chill. It's nice. Glad they're there. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what other cities to compare it to. It's nice because there are little neighborhoods. There are different like downtowns. You just kind of, if you walk across the city, Top to bottom. Um, you just, you'll, you'll come across one downtown stretch. You'll, you'll walk for a while 
in something that looks kind of residential. It's a bunch of apartment buildings. Uh, you come to another downtown. Just a, a place where a whole bunch of people live. But each little neighborhood does seem to have its own little style to it. Haight-Ashbury is a weird place. There, I walked down Haight Street. I don't think I saw a single chain on that entire stretch. It, it was all just single. There was a Ben and Jerry's. And I guess at the very end, there's kind of like tucked away where you can't obviously see the Whole Foods, now that I think about it. But, it, but it's hidden. But that whole stretch is just independent microbreweries, independent clothing stores, bookstores, um, you know, just whatever you'd find in any of their downtown area, but not the corporate version. But this is something locals pride themselves on. Whenever a chain tries to move them, they, they, they give them hell. Pretty sure the Whole Foods was there before Amazon acquired them. I can't imagine they feel happy about that. Amazon in your backyard, in the land of the hippies, in the place of the head shops and the bongs and the uh, secondhand smoke. Beautiful neighborhood, though. It's not nearly as bad as you might imagine it would be. Uh, yeah, the summer of love lasted a few months. So I understand that it was pot and a lot of people trying mind-altering psychedelics. It was relatively peaceful, but word got out pretty quickly. This is someplace you could come abuse substances. So people started coming and just abusing things that were not, you know, pot or harmless psychedelics. I forget what the drug came in. I don't want to say it was methamphetamine. Speed. Whatever the meth was in that day, that started getting passed around and then Things went downhill very, very quickly. I think the few years after the summer of love were the place trying to come back economically, socially, it was just destroyed. But you wouldn't think it now though. It's just it's like one more San Francisco neighborhood. It's a couple blocks from you know the panhandle, which is a kind of a narrow offshoot to the east of Golden Gate Park. It's supposed to be part of Golden Gate Park, but there were enough squatters around it that they just said Okay, we can't have this whole area. Let's just have this one narrow strip leading into Golden Gate Park. I feel like I might be rambling on about nothing in particular now. If you're listening to this, I, I don't. I can't imagine whoever you are interest, this interested in this much San Francisco shit. Can't be that interesting. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Ah, I'm going to try this peppermint oil in my throat again. Ah, oh, yeah, it's the stuff. My cough drops are, man. You catch that elf. Ah. What time is it? I guess I forgot I'm supposed to do this and then get back to workout routine. It's getting on a little bit late. It's almost like I don't want to get the adrenaline up before I go to sleep. Of course, I won't be able to go to sleep. 
I don't know why I'm still worried about that. I'm still worried about going to bed at the right time and waking up at a reasonable hour. I have not had to wake up and do a single fucking thing for like seven weeks now. I've just been a bum. Everything is on my schedule. I, I have nowhere to go. It's I'm just I wake up and I hang out with myself all day. I'm kind of trying to think through what the takeaways are going. Well, how how do I talk about this time once I'm out of it? That's what I got to figure out. I got to figure out what to say. I got a plan for this. Because, you know, I used to live in Southern California in a city called Santa Barbara. The thing about Santa Barbara is it's beautiful all the time. Weather is always perfect. Everybody is super friendly. There is nothing to be stressed about ever. And so when you go out, 95% of the conversations you have with people are the most boring shit. I was there for like eight years. By the time I left, I, I knew all. I could go out and have conversations with strangers on the street I wouldn't even have to try you just offer the same platitudes like oh it, 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 can you, we're so lucky to live here oh it's beautiful right on the water right by the mountains it's sunny all the time it's always 70 degrees there's no traffic I think it's I think it's changing a little bit now but at the time it was there's just not a care in the world it's kind of why I wanted to leave it just felt like a bubble idyllic little Pleasantville everybody's just talking about how great it is Uh, anyway I feel like I feel like this is going to happen we're all now on the same wavelength we've all been stuck in quarantine for so long I I suspect we're all going to emerge and we're going to have conversations like oh yeah you know I was I was doing this I learned how to cook I watched a bunch of TV shows on Netflix I don't know what it's going to be, but I think people are basically going to make the same five points over and over again. Like that's just going to be, there's not going to be a whole lot of diversity of conversation. Or maybe there will be. There's a whole lot of different kinds of shows to watch on Netflix. Eh. Maybe people are using the time wisely. Maybe we'll come out of it with a lot more to say because we had to figure out how to use this time well. And there's only so much TV you can watch before you have to go do something else. I don't know. But I still like, I just still feel like there will be common threads. There'll be like some easy platitudinous conversational things you can do to talk about your time in quarantine coming out of this when we get back to civilization. And I feel like that the challenge here for me is to figure out how I talk about this time in a way that doesn't sound like what everyone else is saying. Figure out what everyone else is going to say and then say something else. Say something more interesting. I wonder how many people are doing this exact same thing that I'm doing sitting here just talking into a phone, recording it and then blasting it out into wherever wherever it goes when people publish podcasts okay
I just made a very self-referential comment about how I'm doing a podcast. This might be the sign. It's time for me to call this quits. Anyway, this has been helpful. I've enjoyed, enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> I've enjoyed talking about these things with you. It's been a pleasure. We should do this again sometime. It's been great. All right, out there, I'm getting back to the exercises before it gets too late. You, wherever you are, whoever you are, if you got this far, thank you for listening. I hope wherever you are, you are healthy. Please stay healthy. I'm wishing you the best in this very trying time. Look out for your neighbors, for your loved ones. Be excellent to each other. This is Jim signing off. Cheers.